Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining with us here as we kick off our series for Advent and as we begin to prepare for Christmas and look forward to Christmas and really anticipate Christmas. And so we kind of, before we begin our sermon proper, I want to talk a little bit actually about our Christmas Eve services, because I know that for many of us, uh, this season is filled with uncertainty and lots is still up in the air, but we want to let you know about what we are planning. So we are planning for both in-person and online options for you. So we'd love to see you gather with us um, if that's something you're comfortable with. And then we'd also love for you to be able to gather in your homes to be able to connect with family and friends to join with us online for Christmas Eve. We want to let you know a little bit about these things. So first, uh, we'd really encourage you, if you're going to join with us on, uh, in person, uh, would you please sign up? Obviously, uh, all of this is still contingent on not only interest, but really like government restrictions and all of that. But we are planning to be able to be here together in person for Christmas Eve. And then if you're joining with us online or planning for that, we also want to encourage you to sign up. Because our goal this year is really to really help each and every one of us to experience the spirit of Christmas, even in the strange season that we are at. So for those of you who would be joining with us online, we've created actually a box for you that'll have interactive pieces and elements for you to follow through with the service online. And then if you join with us in person, you'll actually receive that exact same box to take home with you to kind of finish off and complete the service in your home because we really want to be welcoming Jesus into whatever spaces that we are living in. So we want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to go to bethanycc.ca slash Christmas Eve to sign up for either our online or in-person gatherings. And this year, our theme for Christmas Eve is just this, the weary world rejoicing, which to me sounds rather appropriate. Like, I don't know how you're feeling, but I feel like we need to rejoice, and yet we're also feeling weariness. So we hope that you can plan to join with us either online or in-person and sign up for both so we can make sure that you get all the information and all the items you need to be able to engage with Christmas Eve this year. But with that, I want to then move into this idea of Advent and preparing for Christmas. So can we just begin with this? And hopefully, I don't know, hopefully we can just get some agreement on this, maybe even an amen. Can anybody just agree with me that 2020 has been kind of awful? Anyone want to just say amen to that? That it's been kind of like difficult and long and just full of uncertainty? Like I don't think that there are many people that are like, you know what, 2020 has been a great year. Or flip side, I don't think many people are like, you know what, I hope 2021, you know, rolls around the exact same way that 2020 has. I think for many of us, we're in a space of actually longing for something different. We're in a space of actually wanting something different. We're in a space of desiring change and not sure about what the future is all about. And the reason that I bring all of that up is because those themes of longing, of wanting, of change, those are actually the themes of Advent. That's what Advent is all about. It is about wanting a change. It is about looking forward and anticipating for Jesus' arrival. It is really about coming to Jesus with whatever we have, asking him to fill us with hope. And I think that we need some hope this year. I don't know about you, but I can say for me, I need some hope this year. And so for this season of Advent, today we want to do something very specific. And I don't think it's that different, but I do think it's helpful for us. For this season of Advent, what we want to invite each and every one of you to do is this. I want to invite you to make this season an Advent of prayer. To really be focusing in on prayer in this season. To really be focusing in on prayer for Advent. Because prayer is really about going to God with all of our longings, hopes, desires, dreams, and wants. And that's what we want to encourage you to do over the season of Advent, is to pray, pray, pray. Because here's what I believe. I believe that we need some hope in our day and age. I believe that we need some hope in our lives. And I believe that prayer is the building block of hope. I believe that prayer is the catalyst of hope. I believe that prayer is the starting point of hope. Because do you want to know what prayer does? It connects you with God. And in Christianity, Christian hope is so much deeper and better than our world's view of like positive thinking. Do you know what Christian hope is about? Christian hope is about that no matter what circumstances you face, you're actually going to find hope in it because God is with you in the midst of it. 
And so over this season of Advent, we're going to be encouraging you to pray. That's going to be our focus, to be praying, to be uh, participating in the life of prayer with God. And this is where we're going to be inviting you to join with us over this season. And so to help us understand a little bit about the importance of prayer, I want to go back to the traditional Christmas Eve stories today. And I want to take a look at them through the lens of prayer, actually. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 1. Um, And I want to begin just Matthew 1, verse 1. And we're going to kind of read through some of it. I want you to begin to notice uh, the importance of prayer in it and maybe some unexpected places. So I begin with Matthew 1, verse 1. And so uh, we read this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And if you continue reading in Matthew 1, you're going to continue reading of a uh, longer list of names. And I know for many of us, we like to think of ourselves as isolated individuals, but that is not how people thought in biblical times. They saw themselves as connected to the people who came before them and the people who are coming into the future uh, because of them. Family lines, they just mattered. And so what we see is really the family line of Jesus. That's what Matthew 1 is about. It's a genealogy of Jesus. It's the people that lead up to Jesus. But I want to focus in a little bit on verse 17. Because this is where all of a sudden the names kind of stop. And there's a verse that I think we often skip over. And I want us to sit with it for a moment. We read this. It says, all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. What I want us to just notice is just in that one small verse, do you pick up on this? Do you see how much history is being condensed in one small verse? Do you see how there's so much jam-packed into this? Now think about this. There have been people in this time and age, in that day and age, who were praying for 14 generations for the Messiah to come. That since they went into exile, they've been praying for the Messiah. They've been longing for the Messiah. They've been wanting. They've been looking. They've been anticipating. That they have been waiting for 14 generations. This is not a small season of time of waiting. This is a long season. And these are some of the prayers that they've been praying, actually. I want to read to you in Isaiah. This is a prayer about the Messiah coming. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army will make this happen. And these are some of the things that people have been praying for 14 generations. And here's the reason why I bring this up. I want us to start to think about how do you hold on to hope for that long, right? For 14 generations. Because I think for some of us, we're finding it difficult to hold on to hope just in this season. Or at least I'll speak for me. Like, I'm finding it difficult to hold on to hope for just this season, right? Um, that when people talk about kids not going back to school, my hope kind of plummets because I'm like, no, 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 like I need this or whatever else it is. I think it is hard. I think it is hard to hold on to hope for seasons. And But what I want to actually take a look at is how then do you hold on to hope for generations? Because that's how long they've been waiting. That's how long they've been praying. That's how long they've been really um, anticipating the coming of the Messiah. I want to take a look at that today because I think that this matters. How do you hold on to hope in the in-between? And the answer is, at least for me, I'll be clear right up front, the way that you hold on to hope for generations, the way that you hold on to hope in the midst of difficult seasons, the way you hold on to hope for longer than just a few weeks, but for decades or whatever, that's through prayer. That prayer is the lifeblood of hope. That prayer connects you to God that brings you hope. That prayer is the only way that you can hold on to hope and even recognize and then respond to God in the midst of whatever season you're, you're facing. And I want to show you this actually from the next uh, few verses. 
Because what we start to see is Joseph responding to God. What we start to see is Joseph recognizing the voice of God. What we start to see is him actually finding out the answers to his prayers that he has been praying. And I want to take a look at the next few passages and the importance of prayer and how prayer actually positions you, follow with me, it positions you to hear from God and to respond to God. Okay? That prayer positions you to hear from God and respond to God. Let's continue reading in the passage itself. We read this. This is the very next verse in verse 18. It says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Remember that one that for 14 generations they've been longing for. It says his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But, while the mar- but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. Or that word there uh, where it says righteous, it also means justice. So a righteous or a just, a good, you know, a holy man, those are all the kind of things going on there in that word. And it said this, and he decided that he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly, really to be gracious. Really, that's what he's doing. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Right? Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why do you think the angel said that? Because Joseph was afraid to take Mary as his wife. Right? Right? He's been considering how he can't. And it says this, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. That's a huge promise, right? This is what the Jewish people have been praying for and longing for for 14 generations. And here Joseph hears through an angel in a dream while he is sleeping, really that this is what will happen. It says all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, which they will call Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And the text ends and says this. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relationships with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, I think if we start to take this passage seriously as history and not just like a story or fantasy, I actually start to think that we start to see the importance of prayer in it. I want to show you why. So let's start to take it as real, as real history, because it is, and this matters for us. Okay? So I want us to actually picture this, because sometimes I think what ends up happening is we get so familiar with the Christmas stories, especially if you've been in church for a little while, so we get so familiar from them that some of its power is actually kind of removed from it. So let's take this and put this in the context, okay? So here's what's happening. Joseph... Joseph has really been longing, like all Jewish people, for the Messiah to come, for generations upon generations upon generations, right? And what we know about Joseph is that really, in this day and age and at this point in history, Joseph is kind of like he's a nobody, really. I know that might be a harsh way to put it, but honestly, he lives in Bethlehem. This is not an important town. This is kind of like a nowheresville town, right? This is where he is. He is not powerful. He is not um, important. He is somebody that I think the world wouldn't really notice, right? So he's just kind of a regular guy going about his regular business, not important, right? Let's put that in context because I think it matters. And then what does the text say? The text says that he went to sleep, right? Because he woke up. So he's going to sleep. But I think we would also be able to say or to assume is that likely the sleep for Joseph that he's having is probably like a restless one. It's probably one of those like ones where you just, you struggle to go to sleep and then you struggle to kind of even stay asleep. And why might that be true? Well, what has he just heard about Mary, his fiance, right? That, that she's been unfaithful, right? So he must be actually, you know, having all these questions going through his mind as he's trying to fall asleep, wondering about, like, who was it? Why would this happen? All of this. You can imagine some of the confusion and distress that he must be feeling, you know, but maybe even a sense of betrayal, right? So he's gone to sleep, though, and it's likely been a fitful sleep. It's likely been a difficult place to go to sleep. 
And it's in a dream all of a sudden that he hears from God speaking to him in and through an angel. And what does he hear about? He hears about how Jesus is going to be born to him, to him, right, in his family. He's going to have an opportunity to raise the Messiah. Can you imagine just how, like, like just overwhelming and in some ways surprising and shocking this might be, right? Like, just imagine hearing that. So he hears this in a dream. And then what does Joseph do? What does Joseph do? The text tells us as soon as he wakes up, he goes and he does exactly what the Lord commands him to do. He is obedient. He is faithful. He is character driven in all of this. He is just and righteous. And here's the question I want us to ask today, taking this story as history. Why do you think Joseph reacted this way? Why do you think he actually reacted this way? Why do you think he did this? Because what I know Let's just, you know, talk about ourselves. What I know for many of us is that many of us have had a weird dream where we then wondered, like, where did that come from? But we haven't altered our entire lives around it, right? Like, Joseph had the actual option to maybe dismiss what he experiences as just a dream, right? He's sleeping. The text is very clear. So why does he not only, first of all, clearly recognize God's voice to him? Here's the second thing I want us to consider. Why is it that he responds with almost immediacy, with such faithfulness and such obedience? How is it that when he hears God's word, he is almost instantly faithful to it? Because I'll speak for myself that sometimes, or maybe oftentimes, right, God speaks to me, but I don't instantly follow through on it. Anybody else ever have that problem other than your pastor, right? So the question I want to ask is just a really honest question. What is it about Joseph that has prepared him to not only recognize the voice of God, but respond to it in such a faithful, obedient way? That's the question I want to explore. What is it about Joseph that has actually caused him to recognize and then respond to the voice of God in such a faithful and obedient way? What I want to suggest to you, what I want to suggest to you today that I think the text hints at, and I'll explain to you, is that the reason Joseph could not only hear the voice of God, but respond in such a faithful way is because Joseph must have been and was a man of prayer. That's the only answer that I can see, that Joseph must have been, and he was a man of prayer. And we know this for a few reasons. Okay, I want to share them with you. First of all, uh, what you might not realize uh, is just this, that in that day and age, uh, in that kind of biblical times, is that Jewish people would pray consistently, but they would often pray not only daily, but actually three times a day. That prayer would be a natural part of the rhythm and practice of their lives. We actually read about the importance of prayer and this continual praying in morning and at noon and at night multiple times in the Psalms. I'll give you a few examples of where we read about the importance of praying at different times in the book of Psalms. Um, We read this in Psalms 55, verse 17. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Or we read in Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day, and I cry out to you at night. Or in Psalm 92, we read this. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning. That is a good psalm for all of us. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening. Or Psalm 143.8, we read this. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I'm trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Or Psalm 42, verse 8. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to the God who gives me life. These are some of the Psalms that would have shaped uh, Joseph. Because remember, for the Jewish people, this is their prayer book. This is their worship book. This is what they follow. This is what they sing and pray consistently. Or in Psalm 63, it says this, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night, because you are my helper, and I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. So what I believe 
is that Joseph's practice must have been to actually follow these psalms and to be praying consistently, to be praying in the mornings, to be praying at noon, to be praying at night, to actually be opening up his soul to God throughout the day. I believe that this must have been his practice. And why do you think that maybe I might kind of guess or hint at this, right? Because what does the text say about Joseph? How does the text name him? How does the text reveal who he is? What does it say? The text says that Joseph is a righteous man, right? That Joseph is a just man, that Joseph is a holy man. And so when the Bible says that Joseph is righteous, just, and good, I have to believe that that also means that he is a prayerful man, right? That he would follow through on the prayers of his people, on the continual pattern of his people, that Joseph would be formed by prayer. I just don't believe that you can be a righteous and a just man or a righteous and a just person without prayer being a foundational practice in your life. The other reason that I think we can see in Joseph that he must have been a regular person who really committed himself to prayer is not only uh, because he was called righteous and just, and it's not only because it was the practice of his people to actually continually pray morning, noon, and night. Another reason, actually, is because of his actions. It's because of his response, right? Because as soon as the angel tells Joseph, right, to go and to take Mary as his wife, what does the text say that he does? He wakes up and he goes and he does that. The text doesn't talk about him waffling at all. The text doesn't talk about him like wondering or questioning at all. The text doesn't talk about him even doubting at all. It talks about him just following through with obedience and faithfulness right away. And I think that this is really quite amazing because for Joseph to take in Mary, let us not forget that there would have been a lot of gossipy conversations going on about this. There would have been some social cost to this. Joseph likely lost some business because of this. Joseph maybe even lost some friends because of this. This was not an easy choice for Joseph. Remember, what does the angel say? Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, right? Because there would have been fear there. So here's the question I want us to ask about Joseph's reaction. What is it that causes him to be able to react that faithfully, that immediately, and that strongly? And what I would like to say to you again is prayer must have been a practice for Joseph. Because here's what we now know psychologically. And if you do a research into psychology, there's actually a whole field of study about virtuous actions, about righteous actions or right actions. And here's what we know about people who make right actions, who actually uh, follow through in virtuous kind of uh, decisions. Okay? That for someone, um, right actions does not happen spontaneously, it happens only because of practice. That right actions don't happen spontaneously, they happen because of actions. Or to put it another way, virtue doesn't just grow, you know, randomly. It grows through thought, discipline, practice, and work. Okay, that virtue grows through thought, discipline, practice, and work. It just doesn't happen randomly. And I think many of us actually have known this and experienced this. That if, if you have met someone who in a very difficult situation, you know, maybe a crisis, maybe a real moment of stress, if they are kind, if they are forgiving, if they are calm and patient, they have likely practiced at being calm, kind, and patient many, many times before that moment. Or to put it a different way, right? I think you can all probably agree with this or experience this, that crisis and stress doesn't make people magically better, more kinder, or better than they were, right? It just brings out what's there. So what I want to say really clearly is that when Joseph acts with such immediacy, with such um, intentionality, with such purpose, obedience, and faithfulness, this can only be because he has already prioritized God and a life with God and a relationship with God over years, right? That this stuff doesn't spontaneously happen. It happens because of practice, discipline, rhythms, all of that. That when I see Joseph's response, what I see is a man who must have been formed by prayer and has actually been prioritizing his relationship with God for years, 
That's the kind of action that I see in Joseph. When he is that obedient, that um, uh, instantly faithful, it happens because he must have been prioritizing his relationship with God for years. That's what I want us to point out. So what does this all mean for us today? Well, here's what I want us to get out of Joseph when I look at him as a real human being, as a real person, is that when I see Joseph not only recognizing the voice of God, but then responding with such obedience and faithfulness, here's what I believe. I believe that it is prayer that has caused him to recognize God's voice. I believe that it is prayer that has caused him and formed within him to be able to respond so faithfully to God's voice. I believe that it is prayer that matters so much that it shapes Joseph into being the man that he is, that allows him to then follow through on what God has for him. So today, what I want to remind us of in this season of Advent is just this, that I really believe in the importance and the necessity and the foundation of prayer, that prayer follow with me. Here's my main point. Prayer actually prepares you to recognize the voice of God and to respond to the voice of God. That's what I want to suggest to you today. That's my main point, that prayer prepares you to recognize the voice of God and to respond to the voice of God. I think that's what we see in Joseph. We see a man who must have been praying morning, noon, and night, preparing his soul, putting that relationship with God first so that when God shows up in a miraculous way, he instantly responds. He knows that it's God. He doesn't doubt and he follows through. That that's what prayer does. It forms you into that kind of a person, the kind of person who can recognize the voice of God and then follow through with it. And I think, I think this is what we need for this season of Advent. I think we need to become a people who hear the voice of God and who then respond to the voice of God. I'll just speak for myself. I know I need this because truthfully, I've never led through a pandemic before. I've never led in a season that in many ways has so much uncertainty and messiness. And what I know I need is for God to show up and to speak to me and say, this is the way, walk in it. But that only happens through an attentiveness to prayer. That only happens through really focusing in on the importance of prayer. This is my challenge for Advent. Would you make prayer your focus this Advent? Because I believe that it's because of Joseph's prayerful life that then he was able to recognize the voice of God and respond to it that he got to be a part of the biggest moment, like in history, the coming of Jesus to save the world, right? This is an amazing thing. And I believe that it is prayer that prepares us to see these miracles happen in our lives. So what does this mean for us all today? Well, here's my challenge, okay? Here's my challenge right up front. I want to challenge you, like Joseph, right, to pray three times a day for Advent. That's what I want to invite you into. Would you make this such a focus that you will pray morning, noon, and night? Just as that psalm actually says, that I cry out to you in the morning and at noon and at night, and the Lord hears my prayers. Would you make that your focus for this Advent? Would you make prayer the foundation? Because I believe that prayer was the foundation of Joseph's life and is then the only reason that he was able to recognize and then respond to God with such faithfulness and obedience, and I think we need that. So would you make prayer your focus this Advent? And to help with this, I want to give you two suggestions for how to make prayer a focus uh, this Advent. And of course, we're going to get into this a bit deeper and a bit more throughout this series. But really, for today, I want to give us two kind of starting points. Okay? The first is this. first is this. I want to challenge you to learn about prayer. Okay? I want to challenge you to actually learn about prayer. Because guess what? Prayer is called a spiritual discipline, which means that, yes, it requires work at times. It requires effort. Um, it actually requires some training and some growth. But here's the beautiful thing. If it's a discipline... It means all of us can grow in it. All of us can learn it. All of us can actually move into a deeper space with it. So I want to challenge you to really focus in on learning about prayer over this Advent. 
So for some of you, if you're looking for a great book for that, if you're a book person, like, like clearly I am, I think we all know that by this point, right? If you're a book person, Pete Grieg has a great book called Just How to Pray. It's short, it's simple, and it's really impactful. I found it very personally helpful and challenging and convicting and really great. I'd encourage you to take a look at that. If videos are more your thing, then why not go to prayercourse.org and learn to pray through a video? Or if you're in a home church, here's a great thing. Why not ask your home church, help me to learn how to pray? Because this is actually something we're called to do together to be formed in together. Or here's another great reason uh, to learn about prayer or another great way is that if you know someone who can pray, ask them to mentor you, ask them to teach you, ask them to train you. That's how you learn prayer actually from other people. One of the great beauties about being a dad right now is that Asher and Hudson are really asking me about how do you pray? And I get to teach them, I get to form them, I get to model that to them. We need that, that's how we learn. So I wanna encourage you this year and this Advent, would you make prayer focus by learning about it, growing in it, right? And then actually practicing it. And then secondly, secondly, what I want to really invite you into then when you're praying is would you make your prayers um, specific and about our everyday lives? I want to invite you into that, okay? I want to say that again. Would you make your prayers, especially this Advent, specific and in your everyday lives? And here's what I mean by that. What I want to encourage you with is to pray about your everyday life to pray about the little things that are going on and the big things, but to pray really about your everyday life. That if you're going to be praying morning, noon, and night, to actually bring all that's within you to God. And here's what I mean by that. I think so often we only pray about the big, gigantic things. And I believe in praying big, audacious, like bold prayers. We need to be doing that, absolutely. But we also need to be praying about the everyday things. Like, God, help this conversation to go well. God, could I find a job? Or God, could I have a good relationship or connection with this person or whatever it is? I think we need to get in the habit of praying not only for the big, bold prayers, but also the everyday prayers. And here is why. Pete Grieg, in the book that I mentioned, he puts it this way. He says, when you pray about the small things in life, you get to live with greater gratitude. Let me say that again. When you pray for the small things in life, you get to live with greater gratitude. He says, if you only ever pray about big, ugly, gnarly problems that seem onerous and serious enough to warrant divine intervention, you will only very occasionally experience miracles. His point is, is that when we start praying about the everyday things, we're going to see God moving in our lives in a deeper way, and we'll have more reasons to pray, more reasons to be grateful, more reasons to be thankful. So I want to encourage you and challenge you, would you pray about the everyday? I've been doing that over the last six weeks. I've been seeing God answer so many prayers, like so many moments where I've been praying for a connection with someone, and it's happened, or the right words to say, and it has happened, or when I've been praying about needing some encouragement, and someone has shown up, and it has happened. It has given me reasons to not only pray more, but to give thanks more. So I just want to encourage you, would you pray more, specifically about your everyday stuff that's going on, morning, noon, and night? And then I also want to encourage you to make your prayers specific. I think what we often do is we pray in vague and general ways, okay? But then what this does is it robs us of the chance to actually show gratitude to God when he answers a prayer. And here's how I've been noticing this and learning this. What I used to do with my children was I would pray that they would have a good day at school. But how do I know if God actually came through with that? So I started actually just paying more attention to my life and what I was hoping for with my kids and praying more specifically over them. So now rather than just praying, you know, Hudson, have a good day at school, I've been praying this. I'm like, uh, God, would you give Hudson a good lifelong friend that'll be meaningful to him, right? That is a more specific and it's a better prayer. I've been praying then over Asher. Would you be, help Asher to be curious about math? Or would you help Eden to show her kindness today to someone who needs it? Um, I've just been praying more specifically and it's been such a, a revealing thing for me because it's allowed me to actually see more movement of God when I'm praying specifically. 
And when I say pray specifically, this is not like the name it and claim it kind of junk. I, I'm not into that whatsoever. Instead, what I'm saying is, would you pay attention to what you're actually asking for? Would you take the time to really seriously say, God, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm needing. And then would you pray for it? And then would you watch for it? And then would especially would you say, thank you for when God does answer a prayer, that when you're specific rather than vague, it's so much easier to know when God has answered it. Right? So here's some other examples. Rather than just saying, give me a good day at work, what if instead you say this, God, would you help me to be centered on your presence for this entire day? Or rather than God, help that meeting to go well, what if instead you say, God, would you help me to speak with both kindness and compassion, but also strength in that meeting? Right? Rather than just saying, God, would you help my marriage to be better? What if instead you prayed, God, would you help me to see ways that I could show love to my spouse in a way that they would understand and connect with? I'm asking you to just go one level deeper within prayer. And I think that this matters. So practically, here's how it's been working out actually even in our life. And here's one big, um, I don't know, example of praying specifically and having God move. Over the past number of months, Chris and I have really been praying about her and her placement. As many of you know, uh, my wife is becoming a midwife, which is fantastic. But some of you might know this and some of you might not know this. Uh, but for my wife to become a midwife, uh, what it will require is for her to move for four months to Toronto. Four months where she'll be on her own, four months where I'll be on my own, four months that I'm sure will feel like a year. Like I just, you know, it, 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 was, it was something we were a little bit like obviously kind of nervous about because it's a big change. And so, of course, you know, we've gone through petitions to see um, if she can, you know, have that changed or moved or any other options available to us. And all of those have been denied. Um, so we started, though, to pray about it. And not just in vague ways, like, God, help this to go well, right? Instead, we started to pray really specifically. What we started to pray was this, well, God, would you give uh, Krista the best preceptor? This is the person who would teach her. We started to pray for that, to say, Lord, we, just, we want her to become the best midwife she can, so she needs the best preceptor. Would you also then, God, would you place her in the best placement possible? We started to pray for that, really specifically. God, we don't know what it's going to be like in all of this that's going on with COVID, but Lord, she needs the best placement to learn to become the best uh, midwife possible. We also started to play like, God, would you help us through this by keeping our family connected and by actually finding a way, even in those four months, to keep our family connected? These are the kind of prayers we were praying consistently, but specifically. And you want to know what happened uh, in the last little bit? In the last little bit, what we have, what I can say really clearly, is God has answered those prayers. Because I believe that God actually does answer prayers. I think the problem is, is that we're not praying enough. We're not being formed enough. It's not morning, noon, and night. But God has absolutely answered those prayers because Krista has got placed in the single best place for her with an amazing preceptor who's going to teach her all this amazing stuff. And she's so excited about this. And guess what? Guess what? She's placed not in Toronto. She got placed in Niagara. This has never happened before. This is new. This is different. This is something that even just a few weeks ago, her school said this would never happen. But through a random lottery, she got placed here in Niagara. Now, can we just say amen to this, okay? That was not a random action. That was God, amen? It was God. That's what I believe. That's what I know. And we've been praying for this. And prayer matters because prayer changes things. Can we just say amen to that? That prayer matters and prayer changes things. And I think that we need hope. I think that we need change. I think we need new life. So I want to challenge you this Advent, make prayer the focus. Just pray, 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 pray. Make this the foundation of your life, morning, noon, and night. Be like Joseph, who must have prayed with such depth and fervency that when God shows up, when God speaks to him, he is faithful, he hears, he responds. Prayer has already formed him. Would you let prayer form you this Advent? So when we come to Christmas, we might experience new joy and new hope as we experience Jesus in a new and a deep way because I believe that Jesus is still constantly showing up in our lives and prayer lets us see him, prayer lets us respond to him, prayer lets us follow him. So would you make prayer your focus this Advent? 
I want to challenge you then to pray about everyday things and to pray with specificity. Pray specifically about what you need, what you're hoping for. And then when God answers prayers, like when Chris is now going to be in Niagara and she doesn't have to move for four months, then you say, thank you, God. And this actually encourages your faith and the faith around you. We need to get in the habit of praying and thanking. And that's what I want to invite you into this Advent season. And now, of course, there's so much more that could be said on this topic of prayer. But I think that this is a good beginning with the challenge to pray every single day, morning, noon, and night, to see God move in your life, to see God move in our lives, see God move in our community's life. Let us join with God in prayer this Advent. And so to close, it only seems appropriate to pray. Dear Lord, I ask, might we come to you boldly and might we come to you, Lord, uh, specifically with our needs and where we are at in our lives? I pray, God, over this Advent season, would we see answers to prayer? Would we see miracles happen? Would we so partner with you that we recognize your voice and that then we respond to your voice? I pray, God, would you just fill us with a spirit of prayer over this Advent season, a spirit of fervency, a spirit of desire to really connect with you and to place you first in all things. And so, Lord, as we come through this season, I pray, would we have that spirit of prayer upon us? But would we also have eyes to see how you're working, eyes to see how you're uh, answering our prayers? And would we continue to live with gratefulness and thankfulness? And we pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.